it's really great to see you this morning. You're very welcome here, particularly if it's your first time. Um, it's great to have you with us. If it's not your first time, you're really welcome too. Um, and we hope that the Lord, as Bruno says, speaks to you. Just, just want to reiterate one wee thing from the Tabar Conference, just to say that I think sometimes it gets into people's minds that I said this on Wednesday night, the permit, it's a, it's a leader's event. It's not, okay? It's a family event. It's a family event for the churches in, in Emmanuel. So um, we want all of our church families to get as many people as possible so as not to miss out. The other churches that are aligning their hearts with us around the nation are coming and seeing it as a church family event. And so um, just in case that message has got out there for whatever reason, please um, just want to squash that lie and say we'd love, we'd love to see you along if you can. Those tickets are going really well now, so we, you better get in quick if you want to come. But we really would love to see you there. Um, it's been a great few weeks of teaching here over the last number of weeks. Uh, Chris and Debbie and Stephen have pushed further into the book of Acts. And, um, and we've learned some key points from the pattern of the early church. Um, sorry, I've just got hijacked in my mind there. The other thing I meant to say about the Tabar Conference was, just to highlight it one more time, Andrew Wigglesworth is coming. She cancelled something else because she feels she's carrying a word for us. Okay, so that's how important it is. Anyway, now that I've got that off my chest, and I've made you all feel suitably, I need to be there. Um, I can continue. Since, since the start of the year, we've explored the origins of the early church, yeah? And uh, the main practices that the early church were devoted to. And so we've went through all of these things. Practices that the early church were devoted to because they were devoted to Jesus, first and foremost. They weren't uh, devoted to the practices for the practices' sake. They were devoted to Jesus, yeah? Right at the heart of this movement was white-hot love for Jesus. And so they uh, encountered the presence and the life-transforming presence of Jesus as they encountered and as they practiced these practices. And so over the, over the past months, we've, uh, the past few weeks, sorry, we've shifted our focus a little bit into the second phase, into the new frontiers where the gospel is moving and trying to glean some patterns just to keep you in the flow of how we're uh, teaching this series. You'll remember, hopefully, that Luke designed the book of Acts in a very intentional way. And one of the things about this was he used certain summary statements like a bracket to, um, uh, to highlight the transition from one phase of the unfolding of the Great Commission to another, right? And so here's the first summary statement in Acts chapter 6. And this um, says, so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith, okay? This was basically the bracketing of the first phase of the gospel expansion, because up to here, as amazing as it's been, it's still mostly centered in Jerusalem, okay? And now what we're focusing on and where the guys have been teaching us from is basically out of the chapters after that. The chapters, um, sort of if you're following it kind of chronologically, from Acts chapter 6 verse 7 to Acts chapter 12, 24. And they take us into the second and third phases, the gospel to the Samaritans and the gospel to the Gentiles, which we'll be staying on over the next few weeks. And so we're calling this sort of subsection the spirit break out of the unfolding of the Great Commission. Not that the Spirit didn't break out in the first phase, because of course the church only became the church because the Spirit broke out and poured himself out. But what we're trying to get at in this particular series, mini-series if you like, is that the Spirit really did break out in this phase, in the words of the song that we sing, in a way that broke their walls down. That's why we're talking about spirit break out, almost in the context of the song that we sing. Spirit break out, break our walls down. Yeah, And uh, their walls needed broken down for the gospel to get beyond Jerusalem. The spirit needs to break out to get beyond the walls of our own lives, beyond the walls of Portadown, beyond the walls of the different boundaries that we put in it. And it thrusts the believers of Jerusalem out of their own local area, out of their own local subculture, out of their own ethnicities, out of the own safety of their normal relational orbits. It thrusts them beyond that into the frontiers beyond Jerusalem. And so I want to just fill in a few things um, to kind of join up what's been said. So we're going to take 10 or 15 minutes to do that, and then we're going to push on a little bit further. Um, into something new this morning. But as we've explored a few things that have been key to the expansion of the early church, these are things that we should expect when the Spirit breaks out. 
And this is what the guys have been teaching on. And the, and the first one is uh, cultural prejudices, which I, I looked at a number of weeks ago. The early church, just to recap, but it's just really important because, you know, to tie into what we're sensing at the minute, in terms of, you know, a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, in terms of what Bruno shared this morning about the word to Samuel, which was a word that initiated a movement for the nation, right? All that would happen in the glory days of Israel came through that word that God gave a young boy, Samuel. He was going to do a new thing in Israel. It was Samuel that anointed the first king. It was Samuel that anointed David. It was Samuel that was the prophet that helped initiate the move of God, right? So in that context, if we were to try and apply this to our world today and to what we feel we're living in, which is the point of why we're teaching it, is... um, these are things that we should expect when the spirit breaks out. And one of them will be our cultural prejudices will be exposed. So my question to myself, first and foremost, and then to you is, are you ready for that? Can you handle that? Can we handle it when the Holy Spirit moves? Because what we found in Acts chapter 6, which we'll read later on again, where the Hebrew widows were getting preference over the Hellenistic widows. And what we found was that there was a preference happening. We were, and we have heard this, particularly as we've built the church in Lurgan over the years, I've heard this, we've heard this, numerous Wilson's here this morning, an elder in Lurgan, and he'll testify this. Numerous times over the years we've heard this little phrase, oh, but you have to look after your own Alan first. We use that phrase in the church, and I'd love to know where it is in the Bible. Because when the Holy Spirit was poured out, one of the things that we find is he's no respecter of persons. He's unapologetic in his egalitarian nature. That just means it falls on all flesh. That's what Joel 2 says. All flesh. The Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. When the Holy Spirit breaks out, it transcends the boundaries that we have created. That sometimes even we've subconsciously created. This is what Pentecost is all about. It's not for one people. It's not for one denomination, but it's for everyone. And so when this happens, the cultural prejudices that we carry get exposed. The ways that we have created nations and tribes and borders and boundaries to protect ourselves from other people because it kind of exalts us a little bit more over and above them. The Holy Spirit, when he breaks out, he breaks those walls down. And, um, and we can resist that. And we can quench that, as we'll see this morning. When the Holy Spirit moves, it's for everyone. There was a, any of the, I'm quite um, into um, revival history, and any time the Spirit moves in this history, we see a radical dissolving of racial boundaries. Any time that the Holy Spirit genuinely moves. The gift of Pentecostalism, if you like, which was born on Azusa Street, was in the back streets of L.A. when the Spirit really moved back in the early 1900s. A one-eyed black preacher, the son of a slave, William Seymour. And, the, and Pentecostalism has become, the, I think it's something like ridiculous, 500 million people in the world, like one of the probably greatest movement in the wider movement of the church in the last 100 years. And the beauty of it was that it dissolved all the racial boundaries initially. In the revival meetings, black, white, Latinos, Asians, young and old were joined together to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And then what do we do? We made a denomination out of Pentecostalism when it was supposed to be for the whole church. Because when the Spirit falls, it falls on everyone. And... Um, they wanted to mature a little bit and parts of Pentecostalism then found themselves connected with all sorts of different religious fundamentalism and it lost, partly lost, what it was actually designed to rid itself of initially, which is the boundaries that we put up. And so we're living in days where I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to pour himself out again. And we need to learn from these examples in the Bible and examples in history. When the Holy Spirit breaks out, it's it's for everyone. It calls us to relinquish control of how we think God should work and should act the ways we feel entitled sometimes over other people. And all that gets ruthlessly exposed. But not everyone can accept that. And because not everyone can accept that, it leads to the other thing that we can expect, which Stephen told us about when the spirit breaks out, which is persecution. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit goes hand in hand 
right? The Holy Spirit pouring out of Pentecost and continuing on after Pentecost goes hand in hand with the New Testament's main proclamation. And that's that Jesus is Lord. It was beautiful to sing those songs this morning. All hail King Jesus. He is Lord. And because we've grown up, those of us who have grown up in Sunday school, we kind of, that, that phrase has got tame. But it's not tame. It's completely revolutionary. To say Jesus is Lord is to say something else almost not that nice to everything else that tries to be Lord. Right? And so, because Joel chapter 2, not only did it say that um, the, the Holy Spirit will be poured on all flesh, but at the end of that prophecy it says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. All. Not just the Jews, not just an elite, but now all, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's like that kind of, you know what all in the Greek means? All, yeah. This, this, this in itself is hard enough to take, the fact that outsiders are now considered equals. But alongside this, the fact that we're going to say that the carpenter from Nazareth, who got like brothers and sisters like us, and just in some ways is an, as an, a human being like us, that we're going to say like he is now the one who rides in a donkey and he, the one who eats with prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors. And the fact that we're going to say he is, this was too much for the Pharisees. This was too much for many people within the church of the day. And so this is the, where the political dimension of Jesus' teaching kind of shifts and changes the atmospheres all around. Political not in the way we understand political, but political in the sense that it was a challenge to the systems and politics of the day. There's a whole other way of doing life. And the message Jesus is Lord and Jesus is King and his kingdom is coming, it calls us to wholehearted allegiance to Jesus. Wholehearted allegiance. And therefore, any other thing that demands our allegiance, that gets triggered. That gets riled. Because that has to die when Jesus is Lord. Any other system that tries to supersede our identity over and above Jesus, even our own family ties. So I'm talking about some institutions, which you don't need the name, but you know what I mean. But I'm also talking about sometimes our own families, sometimes our own family ties. They supersede our identity in, in Jesus first and foremost. And that's why Jesus said he came with a sword. Not because Jesus was prone to violence. In fact, I think he was the complete opposite. And I think he pretty much preached the gospel of nonviolence. But when he talked about the sword, he talked about right into the heart of who we are, separating, separating our allegiances for, for him and him alone. And that's why some of the disciples, after they saw the miracles, go, Jesus, this is a hard saying. This is too hard to accept. And they walked away. But the message of Jesus as Lord strikes right into the heart of our allegiances. No person, no nationality, no patriotism, no ethnicity, no nothing, anything else that supersedes our identity other than our allegiance to Jesus Christ and him alone. That's why Jesus is Lord, is completely revolutionary. It strikes right to the heart of that. And because it brings in the culture of heaven, it threatens all the other cultures that are around us. And it gets a reaction. And that's why persecution happens. It tells us, Stephen read this, I think, last week. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged them off, both men and women, and he put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. I want you to notice what it says there. Those who had been scattered preached the word. Because it says they accept the apostles. So that tells us that the people that carried the gospel into the new kind of frontiers at that particular time weren't the apostles. They were the ordinary, everyday Jesus followers who carried the message, Jesus is Lord. It was the good news. The apostles actually seemed to stay at this point. They were ordinary people. Um, Celsus, who was the second century philosopher, 
disparagingly spoke of the early Christians. He called them, they were wool workers, cobblers, handy workers, and the most illiterate and bucolic yokels, right? But these, these, these were like learned men that were looking on at this kind of genuine Holy Spirit movement and going, these guys are actually changing the world. We've got to stop them. But it was ordinary people carrying the message of Jesus. I love this from Steve Addison. Let me read this. He, history has focused on the achievements of the leading figures of the early church, the apostles, prophets, teachers, and evangelists who played their part in knitting together a rapidly expanding movement. But they were the exception, not the rule. Overwhelmingly, early Christianity was spread not by professionals, but by ordinary people whose names and deeds went unrecorded. Through their social networks of relatives and friends, they reached the Hellenized Jews living outside of Israel. The ordinary people carrying the message, Jesus is Lord. Uh, see, Christianity and this early Christian movement was different from most organizations. Because if you want to stop most organizations or most, most movements, you just kill the leader. Or you, or, you, or you kind of dethrone the head. But the more, well, they did it with Jesus, obviously, didn't they? And it didn't stop. And then the more they went after the apostles, the more the movement spread. Because it was a culture that had penetrated the hearts of ordinary people. And the movement started to spread. And the more persecution increased, increased the more they spread. It's a bit like a, a, there's that, some of you might have read that book, The Starfish and the Spider. If you cut the head off the spider, everything start, stops working. If you, if you, if, if you cut, cut a starfish in half, they just multiply and they replicate. And Christianity was much more like the starfish. Because the message, Jesus is Lord, is, uh, is incombustible. It just keeps moving. Yeah. And so they go carrying the message that Jesus is Lord. And I just wanted to join these two things up because the word for gospel is literally the word good news. But in the Greek, it's this word evangelion, right? And where we get the word evangelism from. And the word evangelion was not a religious term when it started being used. It was actually a military term that was used when a new king came to town. And so it was literally saying... Jesus is Lord, and new king has come. Which is literally saying, when everybody else is saying, Caesar is Lord, these ordinary everyday believers, with the fire of God within them, with courage in their hearts, would white-knuckle some stuff, and look other people in the eye, who were declaring Caesar is Lord, and they would say, good news has come. The king has come. Jesus is Lord. And you could have been martyred for doing it. But because they did... They were on a collision course with Roman culture, Roman religion, Roman politics. But nothing could stop it. And so because this message of Jesus as Lord is so much of a rival to the other agendas, it leads to persecution. And we want to realize that when we do that, that all things are going to change and be transformed. And there's hopefully an encouragement and possibly a challenge for each of us as we carry the good news of the kingdom wherever you go tomorrow morning wherever you live your life this week. Ordinary people carrying the message, carrying the atmosphere, Jesus is Lord. And because he's Lord, wherever he's king, his kingship reigns. And, um, and that means a new culture is penetrating the earth, is coming in on this earth. And Chris and Debbie obviously take a couple of weeks. Um, please don't see these just as a couple of weeks' teachings and then we kind of move on. Let's kind of try and think about how we, how we implement this stuff in our life because the signs and wonders that followed the early church, particularly as the Spirit broke out beyond Jerusalem, it was front-loaded with signs and wonders. It was right on the sharp edge of that was was signs and wonders and the atmosphere of heaven breaking in and an openness to the miraculous, right? We may suffer for the gospel, but in doing so, we will see supernatural signs and wonders because there's an alternative spirit to the Holy Spirit at work in the world. And so when the Holy Spirit moves and when the Holy Spirit breaks out, a new culture comes with that that threatens the existing cultures, the, ex the existing principalities and powers. And so we'll see a reaction to that and persecution, but we also see the miraculous break out. And that should be normal. And that's where we long to see God lead us as a people. 
And while, again, some of this happened through the apostles, it was the everyday believers. This was the original commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Who will it, who will it accompany? Those who believe. Is that you? Do you believe? <laughs> Anyone believe in Jesus? Yeah? If believe in Jesus, believe in the Great Commission, these signs will accompany you if you believe. That's what's in this. And what does that mean? In my name, you will drive out demons, speak in new tongues, pick up snakes with their hands. <laughs> you didn't sign up for that, you didn't. But, um, right, when, when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on the sick people and they will get well. Signs accompany those who believe. Let's remember what Chris taught us. Where his presence is, there his power is. And let's create atmospheres wherever we go. Let our homes be places where the kingdom of God comes. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our homes were known at places where the demons got kicked out? Wouldn't it be known that our homes are places where marriages get restored? Wouldn't it be known, wouldn't it be great that our homes were instrumental in helping our communities not color their pavements with green, white, and gold, and red, white, and blue? Wouldn't it be great if we were the Shalom people? Wouldn't it be great if we carried that miraculous, supernatural grace into the places where God lead us, leads us? These were all the signs of the early church. And I'm only recapping them today so that we don't take them for granted and we don't see what we've been, what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. It's just a nice little sermon series. But actually, if the sermon, if the Spirit sorry, breaks out, if the Spirit breaks out, these are things we need to actually expect and prepare our hearts for. And I want to take it on a little bit further this morning because I want to encourage us to be these kind of people. Because ultimately, spirit break out, these kind of people that we've described, we will become breakthrough people. I think that's where God is leading us. For the church to remain faithful to the Great Commission, it needs certain breakthrough people. In fact, it needs everybody to carry breakthrough mentality. Breakthrough mindset, breakthrough atmosphere. The king has come. The king has come. It, that is the good news. Jesus is Lord. Everything can change. Everything can change. It seems that the early church, by the time we get to Acts 6, had reached a point where breakthrough people needed to help push it into the next part of its unfolding catapult the gospel in the new spheres, in the Samaria, into the places where Jews didn't normally want to go. <laughs> this was needed for us to break beyond certain barriers that we even subconsciously sometimes create so that the plan of the gospel could be outworked and the gospel could progress. So um, we, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but prior to the end of the first phase Right up to the end of Jerusalem, we're told that I think we're given the idea, the sense, we'll read it now, that the early church had kind of got to a place of capacity. It seems like it was struggling to know how to break that barrier. Capacity had been reached. If we want to kind of apply it to us, they couldn't fit anybody else in. And seven men were chosen, we're told, that spread the word of God. And then when we go into phase two, we see that these seven, two of them in particular, Stephen and Philip, they were used mightily by the Lord to help thrust the church into the new spheres of influence that it needed to take the gospel. And so what I want you to think about as I go through the next 20 minutes or so, I want you to think about you know, we've, we've seen God help set foundations here. It's beautiful what God's doing. I don't know if we're at capacity or not. Maybe not far away. Who are the breakthrough people? Who, who, who are gonna, who's going to help push us beyond the places where we've got to already? Who's going to be so open to the Holy Spirit? And so expecting the things that we've just described maybe to come, that they're going to front that up and, and they're, they're going to respond to the call of God and they're going to help us see the gospel come in places where we've not yet seen it.
The twelve were busy. They were the apostles. They were really needed. They did a really good job. But they were busy kind of discipling the people and growing the people. Come to that in a minute. They needed some wildness back in the movement. They needed some white knuckle people, I call them. When I say white knuckle, you know, you kind of like, you clench your fist and probably everything else, yeah? To try and just have the courage to say in your workplace, when you see that stranger in the park, when you feel Jesus tells you to go and walk a part of the town that you've never walked before and say, Jesus is Lord. Let's take a moment and look at the passage. In those days, the number of disciples was increasing. The Hellenistic Jews, so these were, as described a few weeks ago, these were Jews, Hellenistic Jews. Is kind of Hellenistic means kind of Greek-speaking or like, kind of adopted in the Greek culture. So these were probably Jews that had left Jerusalem and were now back in Jerusalem as kind of immigrants. So they were seen by the Hebrew Jews as not the pure breed, if you like. They were seen as sort of more mongrel type Jews, if you want to put it like that. Among them complained, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, would it not be right for us to focus and neglect would it not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God and order to wait in tables? It would not be right. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you. So these are probably seven from within that ethnicity. People who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. The, gospel, the proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these, so you see that there? Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism, right? So he, he's not one of the real deal Jews, right? But this is what the gospel's doing already. They're starting to see the seeds of how this is going to break beyond. Not necessarily like just the, the leaders that they want, People that look a bit different, smell a bit different, all of a sudden being won and captivated by Jesus, now they're getting to step up and lead in this new phase of the movement. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on him. And so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. That's the end of the first phase. And so something is happening at this moment because as Stephen and others talked to us last week, the next chapters are about Stephen in the Bible. <laughs> And, and persecution and how things, um, how things propel from that place. But as I said, it seems like the church has got to a place where <clears throat> its original leaders are so stretched that they couldn't do it all. There's probably large crowds at this point starting to come to the temple, and the apostles wanted to disciple and pray, teach, keep the culture of the kingdom kind of hot. And as well as this, though, there was widows that weren't being fed, and they were starting to complain. These migrant Jews probably didn't know the language, maybe didn't even know the culture, um, because they'd come back into Jerusalem, and the, and the apostles chose these seven people. And I, I want to talk about this for a moment, because this is so important for how we grow as a church. This is a spirit-led act of community discernment, right, to address a problem in their midst. The community determined that they needed to organize themselves to address a certain problem. And, and I, I want to highlight this because we have decisions to make in the days ahead, and we will have further decisions to make about buildings. and What do you do with kids' ministry when you don't have enough you know, units? How do you respond to that? Do you just like come up with some kind of corporate business-type principle? Do you just have another committee meeting? No, you listen to the Holy Spirit. You listen to the Holy Spirit, you dialogue it out together, and you discern the will of the Lord. Because what you can do in these moments is you can either quench the moving of the Spirit or you can catalyze the moving of the Spirit. And what we learn here in a really kind of practical way, practical decision needs made, was Holy Spirit, um, Holy Spirit-led discernment, structure that serves Holy Spirit movement. Now, we've all seen structure that does the opposite, structure that obstructs Holy Spirit movement. But structure and order isn't a bad thing if it's serving movement. And, and I, we want to do this as a church, but you can apply this to your own life. 
you can con- control your life so much that there's no Holy Spirit movement in it. You can ch- control your family so there's no Holy Spirit movement. You all see this being played out in your workplaces where there's control. Now, but order, in the best sense of the word, is a good thing. We see order right through the Bible. There was order at the very start, wasn't there, in creation? There was morning and evening, the first day and the second day and the third day and the fourth. There's, there was order. There was order in how the tribes of Israel were um, ordered. <laughs> um, there was order in the tabernacle, the, the detail. There was God. We see the order in, in Jesus' own life. Godly order is needed in our life as discerned by the Holy Spirit. And at this particular point, the church needed not control freak micromanagers. It needed wise and mature leaders that could discern the Holy Spirit and release people into the next phase of their growth and maturity for the extension of the church. Godly order is needed to in the church to allow for movement, for breakthrough, and for the release of people into their destiny. And godly order, spirit-inspired structures are very different than religious spirits. And that's what we see if we were to read the earlier chapters, which I'm not going to take time to do this morning, but in Acts chapter 5, for example, you see a different kind of structure. And it's a structure of the temple, the place that was supposed to be the place that honored God. But this became an institution that tried to obstruct the movement of the spirit. It tried to quench the moving of the Spirit. And that's what the religious Spirit will do. Now, are you still with me? I, I, want, I want you to try and get this this morning because I believe this is really important because I think it's one of the main strongholds in our time. Religious Spirit is a way of constructing and determining your future outside of the need for God's grace. Right? That's what the religious Spirit does. It tries to construct a way to determine the outcomes of your life outside the need of God's grace. There's an independence about how you're going to get there. And we've been doing it since the fall. Since Adam ate of the, if I eat of the tree, if you eat, you can be like God. And so the religious, expert, the religious spirit exists because it hasn't fully embraced the grace of Jesus. And so what it does, like what happened in the garden, it tries to cover itself up. Remember? It was only when the sin came that they realized they were naked, and so they tried to cover it up. And we've been doing that ever since. Now, there's, there's, a, there's a good form of religion, which I'm not going to get to, or a good way we can talk about religion, but in, in, the, in the negative sense of it, it's the, 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 the desire or the need to dress ourselves up in a way that presents ourselves as holy outside of what we need of God's grace. And so it's actually shame-based that's the ironic thing, because it hasn't, it's, it's, but it's based out of an orphan spirit. It hasn't truly encountered the grace of Jesus. It hasn't truly realized its desperation for the need of Jesus, and it finds its own way to cover up. And so, as much as we love Jesus, we still do that a lot of Sundays, don't we? We come to church and we cover up the stuff that we don't want anybody else to see, and we're not even sure if we want to let Jesus see it. We're all prone to a bit of a religious spirit. And so because we do that to ourselves, then we project it onto others. And so we control others. And the problem is the religious spirit becomes deceived. It deceives. It's so deceptive that it actually speaks on behalf of God. And it's prone to throw a few, cherry-pick a few Bible verses in along the way to actually try and speak on behalf of God and it ends up in its worst cases and some of you know what it's like in control and manipulation and all sorts of horrible things. But it begins, it begins in that personal place of thinking that we can construct our lives and determine our lives outside the grace of Jesus. But the problem is we don't just struggle with it as individuals. Institutions and structures then get set up against that. It's like, Group think develops. It's like a collective of thinking starts to develop where man-made structures are formed and get created. Institutions get created and they are driven by control and fear in order to maintain the system that they have created to protect themselves and they exalt themselves because at least we're not as bad as those ones over there. That's all over TV screens at the minute. 
It's all over Facebook at the minute. Agendas that are set up over and above the centrality of the gospel message, which is Jesus is Lord. And when the word of the Lord is released into that kind of culture, heaven breaks in. <laughs> it alters and changes that environment and the atmospheres around it because you're carrying a new culture. When you walk into cultures where that kind of principality is at work and you're carrying the freedom of the Holy Spirit because where the Spirit is, there's freedom. But what the world tries to do and all those kind of structures and religious spirits try to do is control. And it's everywhere in our world. But as the people of God, we're not supposed to be that kind of people. And unfortunately, sometimes the church just slips into it as well. And control and manipulation and come to us and do this for us. And if you don't, you're not really as good a Christian. That, that's binding. That's the same as those people who read your tarot cards. and They're always wanting you to come back and pay again. Because they're binding you. They're binding you to something. But the Spirit of God releases and frees you. Yeah? Into all that you were called to be. And so we find that in our lives. I'm sure you can maybe think of situations and circumstances where you feel you, when you walk into work or situations, you feel like you're walking into that atmosphere. And, you know, what you need to remember is that you're carrying a force that's greater than any other force at work there. And the wisdom that you need to know is how to pray in the culture of the kingdom of God and how and when to speak up. And so we get reactions from individuals. We get reactions from institutions and systems when that work at cross purposes to Jesus as Lord and his kingdom. Because religion can't bring transformation. It can only bring conformity. It can only get you to do what it says you have to do. It squashes individuality and the beauty of creation it seeks to control. And so what happens in those situations is that they seek to construct a form of godliness that's attached to their own agenda. Right? It's dressed up with godliness, but there's no power and there's no breakthrough. It's just control. And the feeling, the thing is that when the opposite spirit comes, the spirit of freedom, the spirit of love. And when I say the spirit of love, don't think I'm talking about some like, like, you know, cool FM kind of at night when you listen to love songs, right? I'm not, I'm not, what do you call that? The love shack or something, right? I'm not, I'm not talking about that. When I talk about the spirit of love, like love raises the dead. Yeah, love overcomes. It's not some like wafty, just make you feel good kind of love, right? It's love that brings life to dead things. It's love that conquers sin and death and hell. But it's a love that brings freedom. And when we realize that we're fully trusted and fully dependent on the Father to be the sons and daughters that he's called us to be, we're released in to become all that he has called us to be. And so, just really quickly, the religious spirit, just kind of summarize, the religious spirit, kind of institutions, but powers with groups, the individuals, they react negatively and irrationally to anything new, right? Because they're losing control. It reinforces its agenda often in threatening ways, right? It's really interesting how you start to see anger and all of these kind of things. It resorts to fear and deceit to drive its agenda. And it restricts people to movements. The, the contrast to that is Holy Spirit movements. And this is what we see in Acts 6. We see, here's, oh, let me say this first. They listen to the Spirit. They release favor, the favor of God. And in turn, it unlocks destinies and catalyzes movement. The whole next wave of gospel expansion is partly due to this decision making. It realigns vision and it resets the kingdom culture. And so it reminds the church, it brings the people into, why are we doing this in the first place? Let's set our hearts around the purpose and the heart of why we do this. Let's reset the culture and make sure that the decisions around structure that we're making are going to serve that developing and maturing, not restricting it. And it restores unity. <laughs> the ironic thing is, the religious spirit tries to bring control, but mature, godly, wise leadership actually brings unity amongst the diversity. And this is what happens in Acts chapter 6. And the beauty of what we need to learn is there's a distinct lack of ego, and there's a distinct lack of competitive spirits, and there's a distinct lack of jealousies, and there's a distinct lack of this is my ministry, so it has to happen this way. There's none of that going on. 
It's like we're going to bow the knees to Jesus and we say, Holy Spirit, this all started with you. It began with you. It's all about you. Jesus is Lord. We'll get on our knees so you can be Lord. And we want your spirit to come and give us wisdom of how we can steward the movement of your spirit well. And so they get this decision making, kind of inspired by the spirit, to pick these seven men. And they do. And they become breakthrough people that helps catapult the gospel into new places. And as we go forward as a church and as a people, we need that level of breakthrough coming. And as a leadership, and when I say a leadership, it's not just the six of us. I mean, as we lead as a whole community, we want to be people that allow the Holy Spirit to have his way, whatever that means. Knowing that he will bring the necessary order that is needed in order to release movement. Because that's what he's done throughout the Bible. And that's what we want to be. And so we dare not quench the Spirit. There was a moment, this was a moment, when the Spirit could have been quenched. When the movement could have been restricted. But they teach us, these church leaders, that anything, there's nothing more important than the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus. That's what I love about these early church leaders. Like they found a way to get out of the road because the furtherance of the gospel message that Jesus is Lord was more important than all our human stuff, all our power games, all our celebrity statuses, all that we're going to get out of it. They get rid of all that stuff so the gospel could move. Because you see, if the whole, you know, what, what we need to remember as I try to draw this to a close now is you've heard me say before, Christianity is a, is a movement first and foremost. Right? And for a movement to be a movement, it needs to keep on moving. Yeah? Which means people need to get swept up in that movement. And let's remember, the church is the greatest ever movement that has ever lived. Of ordinary, normal human beings getting swept up in the movement of the Spirit. So it needs people being swept up in that. It needs people maturing into Christ-likeness and growing up in their gifting. And it needs people being sent out. That's the cycle of movement. And it's a great example here in Acts 6. People are getting affected with the gospel. It's causing them to show compassion to the poor and to the widows. There is growth. But chapter 6 verse 1, we read it. It says the disciples were increasing in number. And like all growth physically, sometimes there's growing pains. And they had some growing pains here. But it seems because of the growth, the apostles needed to keep their eye on things. And they were like the culture carriers of the kingdom. And they couldn't quite get around everything anymore in order to make sure that the culture of the kingdom was being implemented properly in all these houses where the widows were being fed. Because they were also concerned with all the people coming to the temple that they had the disciple. And they were concerned that the culture of the kingdom would be diluted and damaged. And so like good parents in a family who every now and again need to call a wee bit of a family meeting because there's some things in the culture of the family that are slipping that you just want to have a wee chat about. This is what was going on. They were being really good parents. They were carrying the father heart of God to establish the family of God on the earth. And they realized in order to do that, it was time to release some people. And so they chose the seven. And by the way, contrary to how the church has used this passage, they're never once called deacons. Okay? They're never once called deacons as we understand the word. <clears throat> they do have a role to fulfill in terms of compassion and making sure the poor are looked after. But they're not they're, but they're not portrayed as just like mere nice people who left the collection. They're described as breakthrough people. Wonder workers. People full of faith and the spirit and wisdom. They didn't just do the compassion sort of, not, not, not that I'm demeaning all these things because these things are really, really needed, but they did those things and more. They were breakthrough people. They, they carried the spirit and they were commissioned. They were laid on in hands. That scripture we read told us. The disciples laid hands on them. And almost by the impartation of the Spirit, it catalyzed the next wave of growth. And as we read on in the chapter 7, the natives have said, they did step out. They didn't just step up. They actually stepped out. Philip in particular. Off he goes and he leads an Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord. 
he goes down to Samaria and he preaches the gospel and the city's changed and transformed. He carries the message to other outsiders, Ethiopian eunuchs. It actually said back in Deuteronomy that eunuchs would never enter the kingdom. By the time you get to Isaiah, that started to change. And now, now Philip's just going the whole hog to say this is actually for everyone. And the people that were kind of on the edges get adopted like Philip, not like a not one of the purebred Jews. He gets he gets captivated by Jesus. The message Jesus is Lord wrecks his life. He gets drawn in to this Jesus movement. They need people to step up, and so Philip steps up. They need people to be kicked out, so in the best sense of the word, so out goes Philip, and how he starts leading other people, so-called outsiders. To Jesus, and off goes the gospel back to Ethiopia and to Africa. And the movement of Jesus Christ breaks down new boundaries, breaks down borders, because when the Spirit genuinely breaks out, it will break our walls down. Otherwise, massive challenges, otherwise we quench them. Otherwise we resist them. Otherwise we deny his power. And uh, I just feel really, really challenged this morning by this word in my own heart. And I, I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would do something in my life that, you know, you just, you just can't not share Jesus, you know. You, you just can't not stay cozy and comfortable and within our own walls, but that somehow we need a breakout. And I just have a real sense this morning I feel this is very much for everyone, so I hesitate to do this because sometimes when we do this, it feels like it's only for a few people. Um, and I think this is very much for all of us, but I do feel there are one or two, maybe maybe as much as a handful of people, that the Holy Spirit is just really speaking to you this morning about being one of those breakthrough people for this particular house. I just have that sense. And you, you don't know what it's going to mean. It, you know, even as I say this, you, you, you know, you, you know your, your hands are going all sweaty. <laughs> you feel whatever you feel in your spirit. But I just really feel, I just felt last night I was, in pre- was preparing for this. I'd love to just to pray for you. I'd love to pray for us all because I feel like there's something for us all just to respond to here tonight, this morning. <laughs> but just before I ask us all to stand, if you, if you just really feel God's calling you in this season and as we go forward as a church, and don't worry that we're not, this isn't, I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you to stand in a moment, but I'm not asking you to stand because we're putting any pressure on you. Uh, I'm asking you to stand because we want to stand with you and journey together into the things that God is calling us to as a church. So just in these moments, I just love to follow the scriptures here to lay hands on people. And release them. If you feel like the Holy Spirit has called you to this body at this particular time to help bring breakthrough into new places to carry the message Jesus is Lord, you just stand to your feet because I'd just love to pray for you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Hmm. Come, Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Jesus. Jesus. Okay. I'm going to pray. But let's do what the Bible says. If you're standing around these people, would you just start sitting around them? Would you just place your hand on their shoulders or stand with them just for a moment and let's be the family of God here together just come Lord Jesus come Lord Jesus come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit Come Holy Spirit. God, in these moments, we just want to do what your word says to do. God, we thank you, Lord, for the beauty of who you are, Jesus, and the beauty it is to serve you, and how beautiful it is to be caught up in the movement of your spirit, oh God. 
And Lord, Lord, we, we realize throughout Scripture, God, well, there's a massive call here for each and every one of us here today, that God, that there are there are seasons in life where some of us realize that you are calling us to help lead the way. And God, I just want to pray right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, I want to pray for a breakthrough anointing now in the name of Jesus. Just come now. The Holy Spirit's just coming on people right now. Just pray for more, more, God, for a breakthrough anointing, Lord. I pray for the release of God of anointing to see signs and wonders of God, to lay hands on the sick. God, I pray for fresh boldness and courage, oh God, to start rising up within them. Lord, I pray for the prophetic word, Lord, the declaration that Jesus is Lord. Lord, and all that that means to come, Lord, we ask, oh God, for an increase, oh God, in the power of the kingdom, oh God, to come upon him. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for an activation now, an activation, God, and an impartation, O God, of what it means when the kingdom comes in power. Lord Jesus, I pray that your name would be on their lips. Just um, in these moments, just if this might not be the case, but you know, just even feel like for some of you, God wants to set some of your lips on fire um, as you proclaim uh, the message and the good news of Jesus. So God, I just pray, Lord God, that you would Burn, Lord, burn in, in them and through them, God, your desire, your heart, your love, God, in new ways, God, to proclaim what it means when Jesus really is, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. 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 It's okay. It's just the Holy Spirit's just sharing his heart with people, just giving, giving them his heart for the broken and for the lost. Just allow the Holy Spirit to move. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, God. Mm. Mm. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God.